Since the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous in the 1930s, recovery has become a cultural phrase, a, a word that we uh, use to t- talk about recovery primarily from addictions, any form and any number of relevant addictions these days. In recent years, we have come to understand that uh, addiction is a symptom. It is a symptom of an underlying pain, underlying alienation from ourselves and from others and, and from God. And that, of course, is underneath all of that is trauma, the, the uh, typically family environment that helps us uh, into uh, life usually becomes twisted and crooked. And the pain and the alienation and the even the severe forms of abuse that can result in that environment, which is diametrically opposed to what God designed for the family, results in people coping by using drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, work, uh, food, or any other number of addictions. So where does recovery begin then? Where does general recovery begin? Well, you have to be very specific. You can't speak of recovery in a generalized way. Um, it's um, a lot of progress was made through Alcoholics Anonymous and then Narcotics Anonymous and other programs, Al-Anon for helping people uh, deal with their uh, obsessions with other people. Um, but recovery has to do with the inner core of our being. In other words, recovery has to, means that we have to become something different than we, what we are. We, what we do springs from what we are, not just uh, habitual behaviors, but those be habitual behaviors spring from our very nature. And so our nature has to be changed. And this, of course, is where the gospel comes into play. The Christian by nature, is no longer in Adam, but in Christ. They have a new nature. They've been given a new heart. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence within them. So they are, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, we read that they are, we are a new creation. The new creation that everyone believed would and is coming at the end of human history and the intervention, the cataclysmic intervention of God, whereby he brings a whole new uh, creation into being, and the end of this present creation has already begun. It began with the resurrection of Christ. And so we're in an already and not yet state. We are in a place where we now belong to the coming age, even in the present moment. This is a beautiful thing. This is the ground of our hope. But I want to talk with you today about how this begins. It's so important, isn't it? You can get started on a trip, but if you take the wrong road, you may be still going on a trip, but you may not end up where you want to be. Or worse yet, if you um, take a diluted form of the medicine that's required, you may remain sick enough that you really don't ever enjoy good health. Even though you're taking medicine, even though you've applied what was told you was a solution, something's still wrong. Something's still eating at you. So let me begin by just stating the simple truth. 
the obvious, that the gospel, the very word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, means good news, good news. But is the gospel you believe good news? How often do you think of the gospel you believe as being gloriously good news? How often do you begin your day by sitting up in bed and putting your feet on the floor and thinking, I am so grateful that I know the good news, of, that I have the gospel, and I, therefore I can face the day. I mean, I do that quite almost every morning. And, um, and that's only because, it's not because I'm so virtuous or I'm such a good Christian. It's because over the years, over the times of my study and, and uh, by the mercies of God and his gracious intervention, I've come to understand the gospel really is good news. But for too many, the gospel means simply that God has made a way for you to save yourself. The gospel is simply just another means of self-justification. And most people would not use that term. They recognize the, 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 uh, the implications of using the phrase self-justification. But few people I know would admit to subscribing to self-justification, but that is how their gospel plays out. But I'm here to tell you that a gospel that involves any degree of self-justification is no gospel at all. Now, it's at this point as well that many Protestants will agree and add even, quote, yeah, those Roman Catholics sure miss it when it comes to justification. I'm glad I know that justification is by faith alone. And they're right as far as that goes. But too many of these Protestants are also falling short of the truth of the gospel. Do I have your attention? I hope so. Because this is where recovery truly begins. It took me many years of struggle in my early recovery. Walking in first to a Christian counseling center and admitting what my life had become and what it looked like. I began the process of recovery. It wasn't for at least three more years that I began to realize that my theology, my understanding of the gospel, was so wrong, was so erroneous, that it was no wonder my life remained a train wreck, even after confessing Christ. So yes, we rejoice at justification, that is, meaning the status or of being just or righteous before a just and holy God, we, mean, we rejoice in that knowing that justification is by faith. And I'm so happy, says many Protestant uh, people, wayward Protestants, that I added my faith to the work of Christ, and by doing so, closed with the redemptive work of Christ. I think you hear where I'm going with this. So wait a moment. Let me just repeat what I just said. I would dare to say, even after 500 years of Reformation, that most Protestant evangelicals really believe that faith is something inherent in the sinner. I believed and therefore was saved. 
So if you think it is because you believed that you were saved, that's the error. Is that your stance? If so, you may be saved, but you are in serious error, my brother or sister. We are not saved by faith. Salvation is applied to us through faith. Rather, we are saved by Christ in his all-sufficient work on our behalf. Now, I'm not splitting hairs here. This is very serious. Because it's on this point, as I say, when a ship leaves port, and they are off course by just a few degrees, it may not become apparent immediately that they're off course. But three days later, when they realize they're landing someplace that is way hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles from their intended destination, they realize how important those initial few degrees as they left port was. Another analogy would be to say that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The devil trades in half-truths. The devil is a counterfeiter, and he rarely counterfeits 100%. He just wants to put a little twist at the end of the truth that points you away from Christ and back to yourself. He'll go along with almost all of our cherished doctrines of the gospel, of the Christian faith. As long as he can put a little twist on the end of it that effectively negates it all. And this is one of those twists. So please hear me now. Saving faith is a gift. It is part of the redemptive work of the triune God. Let me just read you from Ephesians chapter 2 so you can see where this comes to us from Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 2, the first several verses, Paul lays out our previous state, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, in which we used to live, following the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Consequently, we all lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, everything about us. Our desires, our thinking, everything was twisted. But in verse 4 he tells us, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Made us alive. Now what does that imply? Well, as I said in first, verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2, it's very vividly clear that we were dead. Dead people cannot respond to stimulus. There's a funeral home not far from me. I can go down there this afternoon and I can ask to go into the slumber rooms and uh, observe the people as they lie in state and begin to preach the gospel to them. I may even preach it really well. I may quote verses. I may make pleads with them. But it doesn't mean that they're going to respond. Dead people cannot respond to stimulus. And such was the case with us as well. So God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive. Theologians call that the gift of regeneration. Regenerate. We were made alive. 
And we were made alive with Christ in his resurrection. Even when we were dead in transgressions. And there's Paul's point. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, And God raised you up with Christ and seated us with him. You see, it's all about Christ. It's all about being united to Christ. In his humanity. In a new humanity. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the comp- in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now listen carefully. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that you, no one, can boast. So what I'm saying to you today is that recovery begins when you understand that, yes, you believed, but why you believed, and how you believed. So you believed, and salvation was secured for you by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ was applied here. Let me say that again. You believed in the salvation that was secured for you by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ alone, was applied. But hear me now, please. I beg you. Saving faith does not originate from within the sinner's heart. Rather, it is the gift of God to you. We just read that. It is the gift of God. Just as the whole entire work of redemption comes to us as a gift. That's the glorious good news. And I'm telling you, it is such good news that we have a hard time believing it. Surely, there must be some role for me. Surely, uh, I'll even concede, as some famous crusade evangelist used to say, that God did 99% of it and he left the 1% up to you. Well, that's simply erroneous. Salvation from beginning to end is a work of the Lord. So what I'm saying to you today is this. Saving faith follows the regeneration of the Spirit. Regeneration precedes faith. Let me say that again. Regeneration precedes faith. Not the other way around. In my early years as a Christian, I believed that the Holy Spirit came and made me born again because I believed. In other words, the Holy Spirit was responding to me. But the truth of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit initiates, makes us alive, regenerates us, gives us a new heart and mind, and so we believe. Imparts to us the gift of faith. Now, once again, let me just assure you, I'm not splitting hairs here. Just as I use the analogy of a a ship that leaves port, having just been a few degrees off its course, will end up far away from where they intended. So to you too, your life, your Christian life, will be far away from what you intended. If you don't, go back to port here with me and get this right. Get, get back on course. Recovery begins here. It begins here by realizing, therefore, that salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end. There is no self-justification in the Bible. 
There's no self-justification in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God has in his Son fully, graciously, freely redeemed you. The new covenant is a covenant of God, unilateral covenant of God to you. The good news is, the, is proclaimed when we understand that God has done it all. He didn't do 90% of it and then leave it up to you. Remember, you were once dead in transgressions and sins. But now you have been made alive. See, this is something that happens to you, not by you. Let me say that again. Salvation is something that happens to you, not by you, in the least. So be careful. Be careful. What is the gospel you believe? Is the gospel you believe that God has made it merely possible for you to be saved, as long as you do all the right things? Once again, we oftentimes think of the Orthodox or the, the Roman Catholics or some other ancient church who has all these works and good pieties and things you have to do to be saved. But that's only because they're walking in, an, in, in something other than the Spirit. It is the default of the natural mind to embrace some kind of self-salvation. But recovery begins when we realize that we are only in Christ because of a gracious, free work of God where he took you from a state of dead in transgressions and sins and by grace, through faith, made you alive with Christ and has raised you up to be seated with Christ in the heavenly. So now you are positionally at the right hand of God, just as Christ is. And that you are part of a new humanity after the image and likeness of God has been restored to you as a human being. That we are being continually conformed into the image of Jesus, having left the image of Adam. This is where recovery begins. True recovery is impossible by simply working the 12 steps, going to a few meetings, gritting your teeth, bucking up and giving up your more flagrant addictions. That's not recovery. Recovery is about becoming a new creation. Amen.